gonna take a lot of love to change the way things are. It's gonna take a lot of love. And welcome to the Caravan of Hope with me, Brent Cookwell. This week we're going to be um, chatting again to my very good friend Abe Stern from Jerusalem and um, talk over a few things he's challenged us on, particularly in our views and reporting of our understanding of what's happening in the um, in the Gaza area and in particular um, reporting around things. Um, that's going to be an interesting conversation and quite tricky too but um, I guess that's the whole point of the podcast we're trying to grow and develop our point of view based on conversations with real people living this event in real time so before we cross to Abram I'm wondering whether we can just do a quick recap of what's been happening in the last week um, well on the the political scene actually the big news is that uh, Joe Biden has finally said is pushing for a ceasefire, mm-hmm. um, which is is great news. It uh, doesn't necessarily seem to be a permanent ceasefire, but any ceasefire is better than, than none. Mm. Um, so we're crossing our fingers, hoping that will happen. Mm-hmm. And did you attend the screening of um, Five Broken Cameras last I week? I did. Yeah. Um, it was it was very moving actually. It was a, a story of a man who who bought a camera in order to film the birth of his youngest child, um, and inadvertently he ended up then filming what happened when um, the Israeli uh, settlers put up a well, not the settlers well I'm not sure who puts it up but it was a, a big fence across their traditional land and started building houses on it and. Uh, made it very difficult for them to actually go to their uh, what were olive trees in their land, um, and it showed how they then started to have peaceful demonstrations every week, which actually became quite famous and got international people coming to it. Um, but how the Israelis' uh, defence force um, kind of threatened them, started shooting at them. In fact, one of the reasons why I had five broken cameras because twice the camera was shot at and probably. Uh, the camera saved his life, um, but it was it was it was heartbreaking to see what happened. At one point, the Israeli courts actually said that the the fence was illegal. Um, the morning after that, the 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 um, people went and they found that all the olive trees on the other side of the fence had been burnt or destroyed by the Israeli settlers. Um, and the intimidation was terrible, um, where they would actually come into the villages and take children and imprison them, um, mm-hmm. which is a horrendous way of trying to intimidate people. And then also showed footage of um, people who were demonstrating being arrested um, and being shot, including one man who was seemed to be the, the friend of many children, very loving man. Um, was killed so it was uh, it was yeah very sad movie to watch Mm. and um, and of course the movie was in place of um, a march um, and here we are today Wednesday the 28th of February we've got another march coming up this Saturday the 2nd of March yeah in Dunedin it's happening at two o'clock from uh, the museum and it'll go to the octagon where there'll be some some talks 
Um, for me, it's, it's just a, a, a way of supporting the local people and seeing can we bring peace to this area of the world. You know, for both the Israelis, hope that they can get those hostages back. Um, that there'll be peace for all, and that, that, that they can live in peace as well as the Palestinians. Okay, well, um, thanks for that catch-up, and what we'll do now is we'll have our conversation with Abram. We'll probably talk around some of the things we've just discussed, but also um, answer some of those questions he's asked of us. So um, next up is our Zoom with Abram Stern. Shalom, my friend. Hi. How are you? Fine, fine. Uh, as I said before, we, we had elections today, and that's... Mildly interesting. <laughs> there, there was municipal elections, you said. Municipal elections. So was, we we wait with bated breath to having general elections. Uh, most of the people I know are very excited. Not excited because that's not the right word. Excited sounds positive. We're desperate to uh, to try and change things for the better. Oh, and when, when do you think when do you think the elections might be? That's in Israel. It's very, very complicated as everything is here uh, because it's, um, it's a lot of two-party system. It's multiple parties, it's proportional representation. And it means that uh, very small parties with very, very specific interests hold a lot of power. And in this particular government, the people that hold significant amount of power are the ultra-Orthodox, which have their own vested interests and the fringe, very extreme right wing, which have their kind of uh, interests, and they hold sway of the more central right. And Netanyahu basically encouraged that and was very sophisticated and clever in the, in the last elections to get that to happen. And, um, and, and that then led to this whole huge last year, huge, uh, tr trying to change the judicial system, which then led to huge, I mean, 20% of the country, I mean, when you think about this, 20% of the country were regularly protesting on a weekly basis against the judicial laws. So there was a huge, huge, huge response. And that 20% crossed the whole right-left spectrum. Very interesting, actually. Um, but that's not why we're here to talk. But I just say, today's municipal elections were more specifically about Jerusalem, and Jerusalem has its own complex world of politics. Um, is it a litmus test? Is it a lit litmus test or like an indicator of what might happen in a general election? I, I don't know. You know what? I'll, when I know the results tomorrow, I'll let you know. I'm, my hunch is <laughs> because Jerusalem is a very strange city, because half the population, well, 40% of the population, I think, doesn't actually vote because the they're boycotted by the Arab East uh, East Jerusalem Arab population don't vote, uh, which is unfortunate because they could really do with the benefits of the political system. Um, um, then then you've got the ultra orthodox who control a huge block of the vote, and mm -hmm. then then and then there's the kind of liberal secular group and then i'm kind of stuck in in between <laughs> so um, well it's very interesting because um the way you described your um construction of your parliament that's exactly not unlike exactly not unlike our our current government here 
where we have a, a we have a conservative government with two more conservative parties who have eight percent and fifteen percent of the vote each, but they right. are having a huge impact on the ministerial appointments and um, the hundred day plan of policies they're trying to push through. Yeah. So some similarities there. So to, in today's conversation, Abram, um, we spoke to you um, a, a few weeks ago and you were very generous with your time and talking about your lived experience and the take that you had on the situation in Gaza. Um, yeah. And this conversation today has, has yes, Kevin. I'm just wondering, could, could we ask what is the situation as you see it now in, in Israel and Gaza? What's it like living in Israel for you? Um, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I, my, two of my nephews have finished their reserve service. Right. So one of them is uh, finishing his degree in computer engineering and artificial intelligence at Ben Green University. So I went to visit him in Beersheba and sit with him and talk with him, just kind of debrief a little bit about his experience. And he'd been on the kind of front line or? Oh, he, uh, he was absolutely in the midst of, he was in the tunnel brigade. In fact, oh he's goodness. one of the top people in the tunnel brigades and trying to figure out how to get rid of these tunnels. Um, so he did see a lot of frontline camp combat um and uh, and uh, and then there's my other nephew who was fighting in the paratroopers division uh, both in gaza and in the west bank and again uh yes so i saw him last week and spoke to him and had a long uh, uh kind of long thoughtful conversation about you know about what this all means to him um and uh, again like uh, i i think you know for me personally I, I i i i worry about them and i worry about their lives and i worry about the impact yeah of of uh, of this but i, I want to be clear uh, i see this as a war of self-defense i see this as a defensive war the question uh I, I i see uh, yeah i see it as a defensive war a war that very clear that both my nephews are very clear they did this was not a war that anybody wanted this is not a situation that anybody wanted this is not something they did not desire to be in gaza they did not desire to be in the west bank they do not desire to 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 be fighting what they want is to live their lives they want to get married they want to have kids they want to have a life that's what they want and i think for me you know if you're asking like how i'm feeling that is what i feel i feel like i would like to live my life and my children to live their life without worrying about my own kids going into the army and having to defend and protect their life their their way of living uh there and 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 i think uh so I, I, I'm somewhat, uh, you know, uh, that's, I spend a lot of my time thinking about this and about 
how incredibly sad I am that, that this is a war that we have to prosecute and nobody wants this war. This yeah. conversation is taking place on um, Wednesday, the 28th of February, uh, New Zealand time. It's um, uh, quite late at night, your time. And yeah. we are coming back to you because in your feedback to us, you challenged us on a few things. And this podcast is about um, points of view and um trying to grow deeper understanding of things and that that's why we we greatly value your gener generosity in sharing your thinking no matter how challenging it, it might be for us to hear that or um and and discussing where we are from down in new zealand with your lived experience in um, jerusalem so if i could maybe take the first point that you raised was that sure um sure. there's lots of <laughs> I just realized again, like I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sorry, that's the dog. I apologize. <laughs> I, I just want to say, like, like, I suppose I feel a little bit embarrassed about, I feel a little bit embarrassed about what I wrote to you. And um, maybe I should have been gentler, or maybe I should have been like, like, I, I, I think I, 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 I didn't want to write something to offend or to upset or, but I think I just wanted to show that how, how I feel like it, it's a feeling thing yeah more you know? yeah it's, it's not it's not that I have a sense of rightness about this I actually I'm uncertain about most things I just wanted to like I, I yeah. feel a very heavy sense of uncertainty yeah um and so I, I hope I just you know I wanted to apologize if I came across too strong or too heavy and I didn't you know I didn't want to put you in a defensive position but I, I just want you to know that it affected me emotionally. Mm. And and quite rightly so. And that's that's all the more reason to have this conversation. Because if you extrapolate that out over the millions of people who are watching what's going on, each one of those people has a view. Sure. And 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 I guess you know, if I was to take up that that phrase that you'd said about, you know, um having good intentions about um, what we're saying in response to what we're seeing, you know, you quite rightly point out, you know, well, it, it's it's not quite in context because we're only talking about what we see on our network news, what we see in feeds on Instagram. And that's why it's important that we can talk to you because I'm not saying you have the answers or everything. You, I agree with everything you say. Yeah. But we want to know from your point of view, what people might want to be aware of and, 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 and the kind of lens they can use when they're approaching or trying to develop an understanding of what's happening. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Yes, your first point. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to give you five minutes because otherwise we're not going to get through half of what we want to do. Okay, don't worry. Go for it. Go for it. So go. So what do you? So the question is, um, you've said that, um, you know, what we're saying in response to what we're seeing, but it, it's devoid of context and understanding. Can, can you talk to that? 
Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you an example. When people talk about a ceasefire, there is nothing more than I would love for there to be no war. I would love there to be no war. The vast majority of Israelis, I would say, I can't even, you know, <laughs> it, it, you, you, you have to balance security and safety with peace and prosperity. That's it. So when you say a ceasefire, I say, okay, well, what's going to stop Hamas from doing what they want to do again? They've been very clear. They want to do what they want to do again. Very, very clear about it. They've said repeatedly, we want to do multiple October 7th. We want to get rid of the whole country from Elat all the way to the north. They're very, very, very specific and very, very clear. So when I hear that, I think, gosh, well, how are we going to stop them? And what should we do to stop them? And how much should we stop them? I do have that question. Like, how much? What's the right? I, right? Now, I, I think most Israelis would say, even very left wing, I mean, the people that lived alongside Gaza and actually went into Gaza, brought Gazans to hospitals in Israel, you know, did all of that. And actually were on the ground doing peace stuff were the ones that were killed and taken. So from my perspective, like, you know, even them, having talked to them, are like, yeah, we, we got to do this war. We, we ain't got no choice because how do we survive? How do we go back to live in these places that we want to go back and live in if this is potential for this to happen again? So that's what I'm saying is like, I would love there to be a ceasefire. There was a ceasefire. <laughs> On October 6th, there was a ceasefire. We didn't break the ceasefire. And 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 until you yeah. Sorry to butt in, but it just a thought came to me then. Yeah. You know, New Zealand's um, involvement in wars around the world. You know, my father fought in World War Two, drove tanks yeah. in Egypt and North, you know, Italy, and yeah. you know, we 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 were kind of raised to believe that there is like a code of conduct for the undertaking of a war that mm. is like a Geneva yeah. convention and there's all of that well that was post the second world war that was post the yeah. second world war yeah. Israel by the way is one of the first people to sign up to the Geneva convention one of the first countries to sign up so with that sort of rough kind of mindset I'm not saying I understand it completely yeah. but in my yeah. mind it's always been yeah. that the that, that, that there should there should be um, fighting between um, opposing forces, you know, yeah. who are armed, but yeah. the civilian population. Absolutely. And to me, and again, this is contextual because this is what we get fed. We're seeing yeah. that the 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 impact on the civilian population, and as a teacher yeah. and a parent, seeing children um, yeah. and seeing the numbers of children dying. I think it's twelve thousand at the moment. It, 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 I, I yeah. ask a question. Yeah. Yeah. What's the question? How is it possible that um, that that can be viewed as collateral damage, as opposed to the fact that you know civilians are are, are dying in, in numbers unprecedented? So. Um, so 
I don't know what you mean by unprecedented, because in the history of war, it's not unprecedented. But no, I will okay. say, but I, I will say to you again, like I don't like the term collateral damage. I don't know what that really even means, actually, in this context. But what I do know is none of this would have happened if there hadn't been an attack on October seventh. So you know, if, if I'm going to apportion responsibility, I apportion responsibility on a Hamas. Yeah. Now, it so happens I know that there are mistakes made by the IDF. Of course, I expect that in any war situation, plenty of mistakes have been made by the Allies in Afghanistan. And, I mean, horrendous, yeah. terrible, terrible mistakes. So, and but here's the point: Israel is a state that, like most states, uh, de democratic states has a system of rules and governance and laws and things are investigated and are published and dealt with now that's because there is a supreme court which by the way has an arab israeli Palest arab palestinian israeli uh you know uh, judges uh, male female across the whole spectrum you know it's just a, so it's a very widely representative uh, Supreme Court that makes sure that the rules are followed. And the IDF has a code of conduct and a code of rules and systems. I know people that work in the intelligence systems and work in deciding is this an appropriate thing to do? Looking at safety versus risk versus what's the target, what's the point, what's the purpose. And there are systems in place and i know this because i talk to the people who do it and who find it now are there inappropriate horrendous things that happen uh yeah for sure there are uh, and and but i i look to our very strong free media and we do have a very strong free media that call uh, uh that call that those errors and those mistakes like just you know like quite frankly uh, I think there's a greater degree of, uh, of, of, of press coverage of this war than there is of Afghanistan and, and Iraq and all the horrors that happened there. But so, so I do think there's, there's a very significant difference here um, in, in, in the sense of uh, uh, that the, there is a system of set of rules and laws and moral values. Um, whereas on, whereas with Hamas, you know, they're basically a mafia operation. I mean, a very dark, awful mafia. But what that means is they don't have a system of uh, rules and laws that look to protect their people. Actually, the very opposite. They actually use people as human shields. And so then you get into a really complicated moral quagmire. So if you don't attack and get rid of Hamas, and all they have to do is to build under schools, which they did, or build under UNRWA, which is what they did, or build under mosques, build under hospitals, and you say, well, you can't attack that because those are hospitals, those are schools, those are mosques, those are, then actually what you're doing is giving them leverage and power to do whatever they want. So it's a terrible moral quandary. It's a horrific moral quandary because you're dealing with a group of people that have no moral framework that we all can reference.
Mm. So, so uh, I, I despair at the death. As far as I know, I have not yet met a single person. I mean, it's true that I, perhaps my, you know, have my own echo chambers as we all do, right? But mm. I think I, I met a single person that didn't think, you know, you know, oh, you know, oh, oh, good, more kids are dying. I just. Uh, I, that's just not the moral framework in which most Israelis, most Jewish people, and in fact, even the Arab Israelis, who uh, it's very difficult for them, but still a remarkable percentage more are in favor of sorting this out than not still for four and a half months after the fact. Mm. So, I, I mean, look, I could talk more, but does that make sense what I said? Yeah. Is, is it, do you want to come back on anything I said? Um, I'm, I'm sort of I'm wondering about this trying to get rid of Hamas because in my yeah. mind, I'm, you know, it's kind of like, well, I, I don't know. This is how it looks from the outside, but it's kind of like, well, you're probably targeting young men. And I don't know, you know, whether that's the what the idea for doing that. Probably targeting young men or, or middle-aged men. I'm not sure. Um, but w what I'm thinking is that for every woman and child killed, or you know, who's an auntie or a grandmother or something, you're potentially creating more people who are going to say, "Well, you know, I'm I I was before I was peaceful." But now, actually, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm bitter. I want revenge, or I'm angry, or I don't know what to do. This is the only thing I yeah, can yeah. do. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, I think that is a, a real problem. I think it's a real problem. I think it's a real problem in many, many different ways. Um. I. Yeah, I recognise the problem. Uh, the, the question is, it's very hard for Israelis to figure out what the alternative is. Hmm. Um, yeah. Just picking up on that point about um, being devoid of context, it might be useful for me to try and explain what we've been told about what's currently happening. Okay. And yeah, then, that would be helpful. So, and I, I use that analogy of saying to you, um, you know, if we if we could explain this to children. So if I was sitting a group of people, children down, and I was asked to explain what's happening currently in the Gaza area, I would say that following a terrorist attack, the Israeli army is seeking out the people responsible and trying to stamp out that group. They warned civilian people to get out of areas that are going to be under attack. And as, as far as we understand it, they've all gone down to the southern end of um, the Gaza area near, is it Rafa? And we're told that would be a safe haven. They've now been told that that is about to be invaded, attacked, and if they want to go to somewhere of safety, they should go back up north. But the, how do we explain that to children that they'd be going back to nothing? There is 
nothing there for them. There's no safe haven. And children of their age are missing parents, water, you know, just all, all yeah. the necessities of life. And there's virtually no houses there from what we can see. This is the pictures we see, but and as far as we understand, there's no houses, no electricity, no water, no food. And that's what we've been told is the current situation. Yeah. So, again, uh, so I'm not sure what the question, what's the specific question? So the question is, uh, it wasn't a question so much as saying that's the, that's the story or the, the current narrative that's being portrayed on our national news that yeah. people were yeah. told to go south to, for safety. Now um, that the north or the, the, some areas have been cleared or that, you know, they've been neutralised, they are all now congregated in an area of high interest that is about to be invaded and um, they've been told to get out. So um, I would say... Uh, a couple of things. I mean, again, like uh, I, I, I don't know military strategy very well, and I don't really understand why they didn't start in the south. Because, from my, I mean, again, just from my ignoramus perspective, like that's where the main tunnels to Egypt are, and that's where they smuggle a lot of their stuff. So why do they not start there? Why do they start? I, I just don't know. I don't understand the decision making. But what I do understand. What's been explained to me is they are actually creating humanitarian corridors. They are trying to create safer spaces and the kind of war that they're waging are much more uh, spe specific and targeted to try and reduce the numbers of people harmed. And that's actually often been one of the main criteria that decides whether a mission goes ahead or not go ahead. Um, and uh and so that that's that's the first point the second point which is about the kind of humanitarian crisis you know uh there have been many wars recently uh in which there's been humanitarian efforts on the ground even during wartime and it is curious to me that that that's not that all these different agencies that have functioned quite well in Yemen, functioned quite well in the Sudan, functioned quite well in all these other places where there's horrific things happening all the time, far worse in many ways than what's happening in Gaza, because they're often between two sides that have no moral compunction to do anything they like. Um, and 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 I think you know again like. Like, again, you, we, we could spend a whole few hours talking about UNRWA and its corrupt, uh, and its corrupt practices and, and in fact, from its very inception, set up as a corrupt thing, and it is a corrupt thing. Um, uh, but, you know, that all these programs are suddenly able, are suddenly just not able to, you know, if there's w the one area for some reason they're not able to work in is Gaza, whereas everywhere in the world and every other conflict, they're able to work. So I can't figure that out. Well, we, well one I, of the one, yeah. one thing seems to be is that they can't actually get it. One is they can't get in. And two, actually, there seem to be in a lot of I, United Nations officials or aid officials that are being killed. Right. So as I understand it, 
that there there are, there are plenty plenty from the Egyptian side and from the you have to remember that the main crossing the main crossing from Israel to uh, to Gaza was actually destroyed by Hamas, right? Where the vast majority the vast majority of of, of aid and stuff like that before the war was coming in through this crossing, mm-hmm. and that was destroyed by Hamas. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there there are a number of issues there. There there is a breakdown in law and order. Well, there ever really was proper law and order. Let's be honest. Uh, a lot of the the difficulty again. I think it's a curious thing that after being attacked and engaging a self-defensive war, the expectation of the world is that Israel should solve the humanitarian crisis. So I think that's curious. Uh, I happen to think Israel tr- is trying to. Uh, they certainly try to supply water and try to supply energy, but it's complicated because the people don't get it, and the people don't get it because of the various incompetence of the agencies. And I'm gonna go back to why I think they're incompetent. And also because of the nature of how Hamas works, where they're basically, they will kill their own people, and they have, in order to get the stuff and prevent them from having. You see, from the Hamas perspective, because they are essentially a death cult, they don't mind if people die. They're quite happy if people die. In fact, the more Palestinians die, the better it is for them, and that's one of the great challenges of this inverted, inverted uh, moral framework in which they exist. And and I think again, from the Israeli perspective, we're like, you did this to us. What do you think we were going to do? You think we're suddenly you you kill our people? You think we're going to give you water? Like that's, that's not reasonable. That's not reasonable in any wartime strategy. Wartime now. That was the first two or three weeks. Mm. And I also should know that we are still traumatized. <laughs> We're still very traumatized from what happened on October 7th. We have yeah. not gotten over that. Yeah, but no. within a month of that, water started flowing. We started trying to get the aid worked out, the humanitarian. But you're dealing with agencies that are from the top almost all the way down, are very, very corrupt. And you know why? Because what happens when you start working with the mafia? What happens when you start working with the mafia? Who decides who gets jobs in UNRWA, in the World Food Programme, in the World Health? Who decided who gets what position? Hamas? Mm. Hamas? Right? I'm not surprised. You, you, did you see those pictures of, of, a, of an UNRWA social worker picking up dead Jewish bodies and putting them into this trap? Did you see that? I didn't see that, no. Right? You know why he was doing that? Was that on October the 7th? Yeah, you know why he was doing that? An UNRWA social worker. Social worker. I don't know. Do you know why he was doing that? Because he knows Jews care about dead bodies. Hamas knows Jews care about dead bodies. Meaning... We will give the, they we will give something to them in exchange for a dead body. Oh right, I see. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like a like and, a, and I'd a say dead, to you a dead hostage. Like a dead hostage. They know. They know. And uh they've got they've got dead soldiers from more than ten years ago. They're holding on to them. <laughs> because they we value them. And uh 
And and again, like it's not clear. Like when you deal with a mafia, a mafia that you become corrupted by the mafia. Mm. And I want to go even further. You deal with a mafia in the media, right? And the media who have all these people, all these reporters and journalists within. Do you think they're really allowed to say what they meant to want to say? Do you think they really say whatever it is they say? Unlikely. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, the only media we're seeing guys are. Uh... I know people who worked in the AP. I know people who worked in the various news organizations, Reuters, right? Mm. No, they cannot say many, 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 many things. Mm. Because if they did, their reporters would be killed. Okay. Plus, many of the reporters were actually commanders in Hamas. Okay, I didn't know that. If you're dealing with the mafia, you're going to have problems. Um, problems. I'd like to just go on to a different one. Something you said about these tunnels. uh, Yes. The tunnels that are, I'm not quite sure, like. um, Miracle. There's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. These tunnels are unbelievable. And, so my, these, both, my, both my nephews uh, told me these tunnels are unbelievable. The, the tunnels are such high quality work. It's incredible. And and what is the fear about the tunnels? I'm not quite sure. Like like if, if, yeah, I don't know what it is. What what is it about the tunnels? Or where do the tunnels go? Um, like. Ah, okay. Well, first of all, the first set of tunnels were between Egypt and and the Egyptian border and uh, Gaza. Now, you might say, well, wouldn't Egypt be friendly? <laughs> Why would they need tunnels? Because Egypt does not like uh, the Muslim Brotherhood from which uh, Hamas came from the Muslim Brotherhood, and they're very, very threatened by Islamists. Uh, sympathizers, and so they were trying to, you know, so that's the Egyptian trying to control their border, and this is the way of, of, of the Hamas dealing with it. But the tunnels are extraordinary, uh, they're a testament to a certain kind of mentality. You see, these tunnels, as my nephew's report, were are built incredibly well, they lead into schools kindergartens in the they you know they, and they are only used by hamas and, and where do where do they go to they go from the school or a kindergarten there's a network uh, it's, it's about it's about 50 percent larger than the uh, london underground okay 50 percent larger than london. to allow the flow of weapons and personnel Without being Correct. seen above the ground entirely. Exactly. And okay. so their job is, what they want is to build an entire tunnel network even into Israel. Can, can yes. I ask about that? And, and I want to come back to that idea of um, you, you asked the question, why is Israel being expected to provide humanitarian aid to Gaza? Yeah. And also thinking about the tunnels. And again, what I'll share with you is my understanding based on the media coverage we get here. And my understanding was that nothing goes in or out of Gaza without the express 
commission of the state of Israel. And that yes. there's a blockade on the on the sea, there's a blockade yes. on land, and therefore yeah, yeah. by taking responsibility for that blockade, yeah. by association, there's an there's an expectation, well, if you're blockading it, then you're taking responsibility for the people within there. And therefore if they are lacking those things, it should be I don't provided. Know about that. I mean, I, I think, again, like, uh, I, I think that, um, well, you know why the blockade exists, right? That wasn't just, that didn't just come from nowhere, right? Yeah, you know, no, I understand that, but I, I guess so, I'm saying it does so, exist, so, right? Right, but it exists because Hamas, from the moment they took control of the territory, started building a fortress, and then started building a fortress and then missiles and started launching yeah. tens and tens of thousands of missiles in the last 17 years. I mean, it's an uncountable number of missiles that they've yeah. launched. And they're getting all of this in all sorts of ways. You see, again, I think I said this before, like, this is the first time I think in history that a terrorist organization was a governmental body. body. Mm. So they, they're actually the richest terrorist organization in the world because they were able to extort money, tax money, and get revenue from all sorts of streams. And by the way, huge amounts of money funneled through, and there's lots of evidence of this, by the way, funneled through from UNRWA, the European Union, the US. A lot of that money is going straight into the pockets of, of, um, of uh, Hamas leadership. Um, and and, um, and so, so the blockade again. I will say to you personally, I was I'm uneasy about the blockade, but it's really hard to argue, given all the cement that was given to them, went into tunnels. Hmm. So it's very hard. I mean, my difficulty with blockade isn't. Like I understand the security perspective, I just don't think it's a very effective. It just didn't turn out to be very effective in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, meaning, meaning, I just don't think it's a very functional way of dealing with the problem. And the but tunnels are the tunnels are just, um, you know, if you if you place downward pressure on something, it, it pops up somewhere else, right? In, in in general, that that is true. But, but from the Israeli perspective, again, it's a self-defense uh, maneuver. And the mm. other thing is, of course, Israel is blamed for the blockade, but you know, Egypt is part of the blockade too. And Egypt is never, ever, ever mentioned as, as being part of, they also um, blockaded and control absolutely everything. So it isn't, it isn't just a simple, oh, Israel did this. It's, it's more, again, it's, 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 uh, isn't as simple as that. Um, mm. Again, I would say, you know, this experiment of pulling out of Gaza and saying, here, go for it, was a terrible, terrible mistake. And that's one of the reasons why I don't see Israelis going for a two-state solution for a very long time. I mean, that's not going to happen because look what happened. Mm. We said, here, go and build your state. Build your state. Build, here is a state. Go for it. But, but the, it was still controlled, wasn't it, by Israel, the borders and everything like that? Well, all borders are controlled by countries. What do you, what no, do no, you mean? No, the borders of, of Gaza. Not in 2005. The blockade started in 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. No, this so is. I this guess was that. A, I, I guess that kind of. Yeah. I, I, I guess your, your response to those questions takes us to our other point, and I am mindful of time here. Um, yeah. That. Um, I think you challenged us on the perspective of the conflict, and that you know, it, it, and that the perspectives that we're being that we're developing um, based on the information that we get, um, yeah, yeah, it, it is is leading to anti-Semitic outcomes. Yeah, yeah. You want to ask me a specific question about that, or you just want to do, do you want to do you want to uh, 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 um, talk about that? For example, um, you know the um, the BDS for, as an example. You know, so on right. the marches that I've been part of, um, people are saying, "Look, there's things you can do. You can show your disapproval for um, uh, the actions of of the IDF by um, doing something like um, some kind of sanctions, which we know we're deployed against um, the Republic of South Africa. Mm. And there's, there's kind of like a, a learned knowledge that, that actually that can make a bit of a difference or draw people's attention to um, that. And I, I guess I wanted to hear what you, because I think you were saying that by supporting that kind of action, it's anti-Semitic. Is that what you're saying? So, again, I don't know if I have the time to do it justice, but, you know, about 15 years ago, before I first moved to Israel, you know, I I'd wondered whether some level of sanctions could push a peace process. I wondered in my own head. I thought to myself, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe that's the right thing. But my, my difficulty is, is that is that BDS does not come out from a place of, um, it comes from a place, I think, of, of, of a delegitimization of Israel. That's where it comes from. That's how I see it. Can you, words, talk, can you talk some more about the delegitimization of Israel through BDS. Yeah, what, yeah. What joins those two? Okay, so so in a sense, uh, I, I think the marking of Israel as somehow being a worse country than in 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 its trying to be keep its citizens safe, which is its really fundamental priority. Is sit, you know since its inception is I mean, the whole idea of the Zionist dream is Jews aren't safe anywhere. So we should create our own country and our own ancestral homeland. That's, mm. that's Zionism. That's what Zionism says. Jews should have a right to their own land and to live in their own land. That was the kingdom of Judea uh, when the Romans took it over. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm just saying like that, that's the simplest form of Zionism. And, and, you know, that idea, that very simple idea that Jews should have a right to self-determination. And I just want to be clear, just because Jews should have a right to self-determination, I don't, doesn't stop me from believing that Palestinians should have a right. I, well, they, hmm. they should have a right to 
that that to me that's not mutually exclusive. No. Yeah. Okay. I just I wanted to be clear from my perspective. Yeah. That's not right. Right. I'm very happy for Palestinians to have a state. I want them to have a state. But but um but but the thing is 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 that uh, so so the, in defence of that of that idea of that nationalist desire for a Jewish homeland means you have to defend it. And, you know, by the way, I, I realize in the Western world, the notion of defending one's country for one's freedoms is and keeping one's citizens safe. Since the Second World War, nobody's really had to do that. So people don't figure that as being very important. But actually, it's pretty critical to a country to have to be able to defend it. So it seems to me that Israel is being uh, marked out separately and particularly more than other countries in, when it, in, 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 in doing what its first duty is, which is keeping its citizens safe. Why do you think that is? Why, which part? The, why do you think Israel is marked out more than, say, Assad in Syria or, um, you know, the Nigeria or um, right. Sudan? Right. Or why is that? Well, I think um, I think there are many many reasons actually, but uh, so I'm trying to work out where to start, how to ask, even begin to answer that question. Look, you know, uh, from my perspective, um, Israel has in its history has always tried to agree and find ways to have its state and have the Palestinians have its state. And the Israeli perspective, and I think quite frankly, the historical perspective is we were given 55% of the land and the Palestinians were given 45% of the land in 48. Actually, that's inaccurate. It's actually inaccurate because the vast majority of the Palestinians in 48 were actually living in Transjordan. So actually, if you include the Transjordan area and the area that UN agreed, it's a much, much larger percentage given to the Palestinians than the Jews. And the Jews said, yes, we'll take it. Okay, we didn't get Jerusalem. We didn't get that plush land. We got the southern land, which is more desert. We'll take it. And guess what? The Palestinians said, no, we're not going to take it. And each time, each time the Israelis have tried to create the prospect for peace, did it with Egypt, did it with Jordan. It's not that we couldn't find partners, we could. The Palestinians themselves rejected peace. They rejected peace time and time and time and time again. So, um, and so what's this got to do with answering the question? Well, yeah. I think it's because, <laughs> I think it's because there is a narrative that comes from the Palestinian, uh, the Palestinian, again, I'm not an expert in Palestinian history. I've read a few books, but you know, mm. but there is a perspective that says, we are the rightful people that belong in this area, not the Jews. The Jews need to leave. And we're gonna keep pushing at it until the Jews leave. And one of the ways in which the Palestinians and I think Hamas in particular are incredibly smart at this, is to create a sense of 
Jews don't belong in this land and Jews should get out. And that's been the Palestinian narrative. And that Palestinian narrative is what's transmitted um, throughout the through, throughout the, the world. And I personally see these marches in general as um, amplifying the Hamas vision the, of, oh, Jews shouldn't be there. Okay, and I, I, I actually go on the marches and I actually question them about that because I was worried about that too. And they said, no, no, this, we, we don't actually. And, and these are the people. Uh, they're, they're, they're not Hamas. They're not Hamas. They're Palestinians right. who are living here. And, and sure. their view is there should be a two-state solution. They, they don't want to get rid of the Jews. They don't want to do something because they they want to live in harmony as neighboring. When people say river to the sea, Palestine will be free, that yeah. is a genocidal message. Uh, it, I, yes, message. I've actually challenged them on that. And, and they right. say it doesn't actually mean to get rid of everybody. But I say it's confusing. I right. say it's confusing to them. Right. So again, I, I can only I can only say from what I have, the vast majority of people don't even know what that actually means. I mean, from my perspective, when I look at interviews with people, they want exactly what we all want, which is peace, yeah. love, compassion, empathy. Mm -hmm. the, the difficulty is that, uh, you know, when you look at what's happened since October 7th, right? And you see a thousands of percent increase in anti-Semitic rhetoric attacks, both physical and uh, aggression. That, Jew that Jews are being told not to wear their Star of David's or their skull caps because it's dangerous. Mm. That they shouldn't hang around in central London. That's not a good idea. Um, and that when you, when you start seeing that being repeated again and again. And then you say, well, you know, you know, uh, and then, I mean, again, this gets onto this, the other part, which is there is a social cultural context here that I think is really important to kind of understand that a lot of the leaders of these marches, like the Socialist, Socialist Worker Party or people like Jeremy Corbyn or the yeah. left-wing academics, they, apply a very simplistic paradigm to to the Israel-Palestine conflict, which is one of a settler, colonial, oppressor, oppressed, which is a direct, directly from, you know, Marxist theory, which has entered into the discourse. And the problem, the problem is, is that that is the only discourse that's allowed. That's the only discourse that's allowed, which is why you get very peculiar, you get very kind of peculiar effects of this, where you get gay and trans people for Palestine, or you get women's rights for Palestine, or you get people in the gender theory world who say, we don't believe that women were raped on October 7th, that's a lie. You get all these kind of weird distortions because there's one paradigm, oppressor oppressed, Israelis are the oppressed, Palestinians the oppressed, oppressed, and Israelis are the oppressors. And that's the only way we can see these things. And it leads to very powerfully anti-Semitic outcomes. 
I understand that, and I, I guess what I think when I when I when I consider the situation is there is absolutely no way that everybody who has an opinion about this can have a forensic understanding or even have an understanding at the level that you would have, and that people gather around simple, easy to understand messages. And I think part of the mark, part of what we're doing with marches here and across our country is to say there is a perception that, that, that there is um, some terrible things happening to people who aren't involved. And what can we do to take action about that? And how can we? apply some pressure because we all know how politics works it, it works on pressure and votes and lobbying and um sure. and you know we've seen people's power revolutions happening all around the world and, uh, yeah you know i was just saying to Kerbito recently you know i was sitting in jerusalem on christmas eve 1988 watching ceausescu get hanged you know in romania and then six months later i'm there and it's much the same thing. You've got you've got those same forces, but everyone outside the country has an opinion based on what they think and they understand. It's it's it's, it's you know we always roll our eyes and say it's complex. Well, it is complex, but the the marches are probably well-intentioned people, and I place myself in that category. I am well-intentioned who want to see um, um, the situation change. And because we're in a in a law-abiding country where um, freedom of speech is encouraged, we, we we get behind a simple message like ceasefire now. Right. So and again, I, I wouldn't consider myself to be anti-Semitic. No, I, I, I'm not saying you are. But what I am saying is, there is a to me there is there's a again. It's it's not like anybody saying to Hamas ceasefire now. <laughs> right. That's not what the marches are saying. Right, the marches are. Well, we, I, am, I am as a marcher. I'm saying to them. Oh, yes, them. I, I, that's certainly not what I'm seeing in the London, Berlin, New York, uh, and, and not you know these big marches that I'm looking at. Yeah, no, I understand that because there's a lot of power. You know, it's it, it's it's branded Palestinian, right. but I think and, that's and, because. People stand yeah. behind the idea of thirty thousand people have died, right? And a lot but of again, them are not members of Hamas. And, 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 and absolutely, and I, it, it is horrific. Again, you know, uh, is it is a huge, huge, huge number of people. But again, the as I said, like uh, there would have been a ceasefire straight away if Hamas said, "Okay, here you are, we're sorry, we'll give them back to you." Or if, if Hamas stops firing guns and stopped and and actually, like meaning like it takes it takes it, the idea that only Israel should make the ceasefire is uh, is again is that's not what I'm hearing. Okay, number one, number two is again like. Uh, Can I, I challenge I, you on that? Can I challenge you yeah, on that and say yeah, yeah, yeah. if if if. Netanyahu and his government said, 
we will have a ceasefire now. Mm -hmm. Is it your belief or that that you know Hamas would keep fighting? Absolutely. No question about it. In fact, there, in, in Arabic, there isn't a word for ceasefire. <laughs> so, Mr. Biden, we'll, Joe we'll Biden's been on the TV here saying, you know, by the weekend, things are looking hopeful for a, a cessation in um, hostilities, at least for a time. Well, well, and interestingly, the Hamas person that was interviewed on the BBC today was like, yeah, that's fine. What did he say? He said, yeah, that's not happening. Okay. Look, you know, again, like, I would love there to be a ceasefire. I would love the hostages to be returned. I'd like there to be an end to these horrific hostilities. Mm. The, the question is, is you know, is uh, Israel has a duty to protect its people. That's it. That's the number one duty of a state. Mm. So the question is, to what extent... And, are, hmm? and, and it has, like, since October the 8th, I, I believe there hasn't been one civilian killed. I might be wrong. Well, other than the hostages. Other than the hostages, plenty of hostages yes. have been killed. Somehow. Yeah, plenty of hostages have been killed. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, but actually in Israel itself, I don't think anybody's been killed. Well, there, there have been uh, various terrorist attacks, actually, where people have been killed. Mm. Um, but yeah, the... the in the, Israel. Yes. Since, but, since uh, October the 8th. Yeah. Yeah, okay. there have been a few attacks. I didn't realize people have been killed because only, we only hear about um, soldiers who've been killed. Yeah. So, so again, like, so, but on the whole, yeah, I think, I think again, like, the, the, there, the, I will say there certainly, unsurprisingly, there has been a, a huge increase in the number of Israelis demanding ceasefire and so where it might be a few hundred in october november we're now talking about tens of thousands of people are now demonstrating for both a ceasefire and a change to the government where's so that is, coming from what what's the what's what's well, the, I think a lot of it is i think a lot of it is, comes from the hostage families there's a lot of the hostage families who if you remember these hostages are traditionally secular, left-wing, liberal people. Right? So that's where they would take that. That's who these people are, right? Um, uh, who are anti-war and so on and so forth. So I, I think again, like uh, I, I think there is a sensitivity to the death. I think to the death and the dying is I, from, from certainly I feel a tremendous. Uh, uh, I, 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 yeah, that's part of the heaviness of what I carry every day. And it definitely impairs a lot of my functioning, to be honest, is thinking about the, the destruction and the terrible things that are happening. And at what point, you know, what point do we say enough is enough? Mm. Um, and I think there is a there is a point at which that happens. Uh, I don't think most Israeli people are there yet, but it is an increasing number of people who are uh, wanting to stop this military campaign. But um, what I'm, I'm hearing you say is that it's about um, supporting the families of the, of the people who've been taken hostage, and that and oh, it's coming from that. They have, very, they have a very powerful voice in the, in, 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 in Israeli society. Yeah. They have a very, very powerful voice. 
so there's this place called Hostage Square where they uh, where families are always sitting and people come visit them, talk to them, and comfort them. Mm. Uh, and and it's you know it, it's very much uh, they have a very outsized role for their number. And and uh, and it's, a, it's a, but I will again. I'll say there's another group of hostages who are like keep finding them because the only way you're going to get them back is to force Hamas into retreat. So look, it's it's complicated in that sense. But uh, but I yeah I I, I I I again for me the the gray zone like I I I. I don't think anybody can criticize Israel as much as the Israelis within Israel can criticize Israel. Like, if you read Haaretz newspaper, you're like, wow, this is a pretty anti-Semitic rag. Because, <laughs> like, it's shocking the things that their correspondents write. And I disagree with 90%. Which, which newspaper is this, Abram? Called Haaretz. It's a very, very secular left, left-wing and it's, it's a lot of their articles are translated into English. And um, the, the point is, uh, you can't out-Jew self-Jew hatred. You can't. Jews hate themselves more than non-Jews hate Jews. <laughs> uh, I call it internalized anti-Semitism. Okay. We have internalized, Jews have internalized thousands of years of hatred. And we know how to do that. We know how to do that. But it does make us, I think, uh, and Israelis, very, very sensitive to, and this is part of my bewilderment, which is the hyper-focus on Israel to the exclusion of what feels to me far more important things going on in the world mm. uh, is actually detrimental to Israel, certainly detrimental to the Palestinians. You're not, no one's going to help the Palestinians by saying, by by BDSing the the... Israelis. And, and in any case, BDS wouldn't work because half the things that are in your life without you knowing about it come from Israel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. You, wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to use your cell phone if you want to do if you want to do BDS properly, you couldn't use your cell phones. And I, and again that's the great wanna... thing about being eighteen thousand kilometers away. I can be selective. <laughs> I, can just, I can just pick on the big corporates as we walk down the street, like Starbucks and McDonald's. Right. Well, I don't think Starbucks. Starbucks doesn't even have a presence in Israel. <laughs> but, but I will say again, like, you know, from again, from my perspective, is you know, you know, when when, when I have a cousin who says, "Oh, everybody believes that Israel's committing genocide." That's what everybody believes. You know, for me, uh, that might be what you believe, but to me, that that is uh, highly contentious, and I, to me, is an anti-Semitic statement. To me, to me, it is an anti-Semitic statement to say that the Jews are committing genocide against the Palestinians, and I certainly see those posters all the time in all of these marches. Mm. And, and the, the, again, there's only one reason why somebody would say Israel's committing genocide, which is because the Jews experienced a real genocide. And it's delegitimizing the Jewish experience of the Holocaust, and it's turning and it's turning Israel into a pariah state for doing something which is about self-defense. 
I guess you know, I, if I was to if I was to sort of query or to yeah. offer a perspective on yeah. that, again, it comes down to just simple messaging in that the reporting and you know and the and the facts are thirty thousand civilians have died. No, that's not the facts. I just want to be very clear. If you're going to be clear about facts, that is not a fact. Okay. Talk talk to me about that. Well, first of all, who's telling you this information? Uh, our media outlets. Uh, who's uh, telling got... them? Who is telling them? Your media outlets that thirty thousand people have died. Uh, Medicine Sans Frontieres, United no. Nations. No. I'm I'm incorrect when I when I as a donor. That's to... not who's telling them. Huh? Do you know who's telling them? The Hamas Health Ministry. So am I right in thinking you're saying that Hamas is making up those numbers? I'm saying that the Hamas Health Ministry is the one that's saying these numbers. Yeah. And I would not trust a mafia. Number one. Yeah. Number two, they certainly don't distinguish between combatants, militants, terrorists, and uh, innocent people. Now, again, I'm hesitant to go down this line of argument, but you just keep talking about the 30,000. Yeah, yeah. I'm because that's because... the thing that sound bites every day right, right. in the news. Right. But I, I'm saying to you, that comes directly from Hamas. Yeah. Now, is it in Hamas' interests to raise the numbers or lower the numbers? Is it in Hamas's interest to have more people dead or less people dead? So it's absolutely in their interest to increase the numbers hugely and to not distinguish between competence and non-competence. But the reason why I'm hesitant to go talk about this kind of thing is it's a moral outrage what's going on in Gaza. It's a moral outrage. Emotionally, it is horrific and awful and terrible. I, I, it's, it's unbearable to think about. And, and I feel, do I want to quibble who that's coming from, the data's coming from? Not really, because that feels like, you know. Yeah. Dancing on the pins of a needle, right? Yeah. The truth is it's really important. It's really important. The data is suspect. Now, are there thousands of kids dead? Yeah. Thousands of orphans? Yeah. It is horrific, mm. and I, I don't want to take away from that because mm. it's horrific. But the idea from the idea that the, the these numbers and we should trust everything that Hamas says. I mean, look at what happened to Ashifa Hospital. The Ashifa Hospital, as soon as it was bombed, okay, bombed, the Hamas health ministry said 500 people have died, and the whole world said, "Oh." Look what Israel did. They bombed this hospital to death. But actually, it was Islamic Jihad's missiles that landed in the parking lot. And it was very clear. So, you see, again. So, can I just. Yeah. I'm, I'm mindful of time. We're going to have to wind up. But just to. Yeah. It, one of the reasons we're having this conversation is because you have that lived experience. You are in Israel as we speak. What is your. Information sources telling you about the casualties or, or about the loss of life. 
I'm going to give you an example. How long did it take for Israel to know how many people died? In where? In October 7? Yeah. How long Quite did some take? time. Quite some time. Yeah. Because they were, so, um, I, I guess, because they were um, following the, the process of, um, you know, identifying bodies, ticking them off, you know, death certificates. Right. You they know. didn't know who had been taken hostage either. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so I, all I know is that these numbers are extremely suspect. Um, I, I mean, in the past wars and conflicts, there was... Again, there were major inaccuracies. Look, again, my my difficulty is, in general, the world says Israel is evil, and therefore you cannot trust anything the Israeli government says, or is, is there any anybody from Israel says, basically. Mm. And, then, and then Hamas, when everything comes out from Hamas, we can trust what they say. Mm. And all I'm saying is, that's a very extreme position, and that's part of the delegitimization of Israel. So when people talk about Israel as a terrorist state, or Israel as a rogue state, or Israel as mm. a genocidal state, mm. these are the kinds of comments that feel anti-Semitic to me. Mm. In response, to, and that's what that's what I'm going to. Uh, you know, people again, use those words to sting and get a reaction. You know, right? But you know, I don't, use the, I don't use the C word. I don't use all sorts. There's all sorts of racist stereotypes and words that one can use yeah. i mean i think again i think it's a peculiar thing that that israel is seen as a very aggressive militaristic um uh powerful state and in many ways it is but what's so curious is that historically uh the jewish people have never been that and yet the, 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 the typical anti-Semitic tropes are that Jews are killers, that Jews are dangerous, that Jews mince the bones of children and put them in the matzah. Like okay. that I've, is... I've, I've never heard that. And I just want to come blood, back... That's, that's, do, you know who's, do you know where the first blood libel was? Norwich in 1260. Anyway, but anyway. You yeah. know Norwich, don't you? <laughs> yes. yes, I do. And so do you. Um, I just wanted to come back about the anti-Semitic thing. As, as far as I can see in the rallies, and there's lots of people have banners, you know, and a lot of them are handwritten. I've never seen anything against the Jews. It's a, It's been about Netanyahu or Israel. I've never felt it as anti-Semitic. It's precisely mm -hmm. against that. And I think one of the things that perhaps has helped us all is you know, there have been these demonstrations in, in, in America in particular where Jews are saying, don't do this in our name. So it's kind of like, in some ways, it's separated what Netanyahu's government is doing from mm. being Jewish. So, so again, like, I'm very hesitant because I can't stand Netanyahu. I, 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 I've never liked him. I find him a despicable character. But I, I have to say, I have to be a little bit careful about that because... He is, our, he is the Prime Minister, and he has some responsibility for the prosecution of this war. Uh, not as much as you might think, actually, but because I think he is pretty incompetent. But, um, but I would say, uh, 
that again, like, uh, uh, again, I don't know what it means to say not in our name. I, I don't even know what that really means because that to me feels like that inter internalized anti-Semitism coming out there. Um, you know, when, when people, when people talk about, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what that means, but I, I, I mean, uh, 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 what I know is that, that, um, I wish this war didn't happen, didn't exist. I wish there could be, uh, so, but I, but I, but what I do know is if there weren't an army, like supposing, right. There was not an Israeli army. Supposing we were like Costa Rica, do you think I'd be alive? Right? No, because I don't think I'd be alive. No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, oh, I, I, I want to try I and differentiate between Palestinians and Hamas, because like, as far as I could tell, most Palestinians not, actually want to. I'm not. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about like most. Most Palestinians want to live in peace, just be able to raise their families, go to school. I, I think I think that's very true. Although again, uh, again, like it, it, it's really clear. Like I was talking about Hamas there. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't talking about Hamas. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, but, we, we but, got that. But I'm saying to you, if there hadn't been an army, if there hadn't been, I mean, you know, if there hadn't, you know, I mean, I wish they'd done a better job, and October seventh wouldn't have happened. But, but there is no question that if Hamas could come to Jerusalem and kill me, they would. They would. I, 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 I don't see they why they kill you. Yeah. You say again? I didn't hear. I, I don't see why they would kill you. You're you're peace loving. Because oh, I'm a Jew. Because I'm a Jew. Okay. Uh, there were there was something that um, somebody who we interviewed, Robert Patman. Yeah. Said and it, he was saying he said actually he said that Hamas actually didn't want to get rid of. The Jews, they said in 2019 or something, you said something that they actually wanted. I, mean, you should, I tell you what, why don't you have a read of their charter? So they've got two different charters. They have the original one and the second one. The second one is a slightly cleaned up version of the first one. Can you but, share that with us? I can get it for you. I'll get a copy for you. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, look, because we're going to have to um, call time because yeah. the room we've got is about to. <laughs> our book is about ah, to. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Good. But um, can I just say thanks again for yeah being so generous with your time and well, allowing uh, us to ask. Me. I, I want to say this was helpful for me to kind of because I, I, I'm you know I I want to learn and understand what it's like for you mm. and I have a little bit and I appreciate that. Mm. Uh, and I hope I hope you felt that too. I mean, just you know, yeah. And that is the whole point of this conversation. Uh, you know, it's it's not comfortable because you're a friend whom I love, and you're you're asking some challenging questions, and you're 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 presenting us with thoughts that um, we haven't been privy to, or information we haven't been privy to, and that's our whole point. And I think. Kovido kind of talked about this earlier, is that the new media allows us to go around the controlled information service. But that comes fraught with difficulty that one can't always rely on the, the, the information that's being provided. And that's, for me, 
I want to be close to someone who can give a perspective. I'm not saying you're an expert by any means, but you're living in you're living in a real life situation, which is affected far more real than 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 ours. And you know, learning anything from what you say has to improve our um, our view on things. I'm going to keep marching because I believe our government can do more to help um, the world get along together. That's that's why I march. And I'm I'm maybe naive enough to think that in a democratic country, if I tell our leaders, hey, you could do more to help, you could do more. And that's one way that I, I that's how I, um, that's what I believe. So. You can find it on Wikipedia. Excellent. I'll have a look. Yeah. And then I'll probably find that the New Zealand Security Service are going to see if I've been radicalised. <laughs> I hope not. Anyway. If I can if I could access it, Israel, you should certainly be able to access it. <laughs> okay. May you be well. May you be happy. Me. May you live with thank ease. You. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Be well. Bye. Thank you. So we